0: Visit com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg, with a very, very special bonus break where I'm going to be sharing with you the life lessons that I learned from my first 200 episodes of this podcast. And quite frankly, there are lessons that I ended up using not only in the podcast, but in almost every other area of my life. Now, later this week, we are going to be releasing the 200th regular episode of the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. Now, that, of course... Um, is in addition to the 39 bonus breaks that we've done and at least a couple reverse podcasts. Before I jump into the life lessons that I have learned from this podcasting journey, I have to say thank you to you for being on this journey with me. I have to share with you that it has been such an incredibly rewarding journey that's actually allowed me to fulfill one of my childhood dreams. And no, one of my dreams was not to be a podcast host because there were no podcasts when I was a kid. But one of my dreams was to be a radio talk show host. You know, I grew up in the 1970s and 1980s when there were radio talk show hosts who were kind and sane and nice. And I would listen to them often as I was going to sleep and think, oh my gosh, I want to do that. I want to interview people and have conversations that really can go out to a broader audience. But you know, fulfilling that childhood dream would not have been possible without you being on this journey with me, so thank you. Let me also say that when I started my podcasting journey back in 2016, I made a fair share of mistakes along the way. And at some level, The life lessons that I am just about to share, frankly, often come from mistakes that I've made where I got pretty far down a path and realized that I'd gone the wrong way and I had to turn around and do something differently. So I think I've got a total of about 12 life lessons that I'm going to share. And the first one is that we should find the support we need when we're starting something new and we should listen to the advice that we get. So when I first decided to start the podcast, I think I probably made the decision to start it about four or five months before the first episode actually released. So that part's good. I had some advanced planning, but I did a lot of research. I first of all found that I could pay a podcast coach who would help me get started. And I really wish that I had cracked open the wallet and paid the few thousand dollars for a podcast coach to help me get started. My learning curve would have been so much easier and so much less painful. But you know, I kind of was a smarty britches and thought to myself, I can figure this out on my own. So I did a lot of research and I'll tell you, I got some great advice. Things like don't use your telephone to record episodes and record on two tracks because it makes editing simpler. I got lots of great advice advice, and you know what? I ignored it. And the reason I ignored it is I thought, hmm, that's too complicated. I'm not going to do something that complicated. I'm going to keep it simple and it can still be good. Well, guess what? Turns out you really shouldn't record on a telephone also, turns out that recording on two tracks is 100% the way to go, as opposed to recording where both voices are on one file. On two tracks, each voice is on a separate file, and it makes it so much easier to edit it. Another piece of advice that I ignored, almost everyone who already had a podcast said, you know, you should develop your first 10 to 12 episodes before you release your first one, and then you should drop three the very first day, and then whatever frequency you're going to do, weekly, biweekly, whatever. That would have been a great idea, and again, I ignored it. So again, really what I learned is that I should seek out advice from people who know more about the subject than I do, and I should follow it. And chances are, it will be less painful and more successful. How I've applied this in my own life is you know about two and a half, maybe three years ago, I made the decision to build a new website. And so when I made that decision, I outsourced the building of that website and ended up with such a better website. And for, quite frankly, it was a lot less painful for me as well. The second thing that I learned is that everything big starts small. So that very first month in 2016, when the podcast just released and we did weekly episodes, so we had like four episodes. And that first month, there were maybe 200 downloads total. Today, most months, we'll get 7,000, 8,000, sometimes even 9,000 downloads. And, you know, that feels like a tremendous success. But I often have to remind myself that everything big starts small. It started with about 200 downloads a month. And, you know, it grows every single month. So I feel pretty confident that in a year or two years, I'll be saying, oh, yeah, we get 12,000 downloads a month or we get 15,000 downloads a month. How I've applied this in my own life is I've tried to remember this when I'm working with very small organizations. So those organizations with budgets of a quarter million dollars and less, because everything big really does start small. And it's about setting yourself up for success when you're small so that as you grow, you will be able to succeed. The third thing that I learned, and for me, this has been a game changer throughout my life if it isn't a hell yes, then it's a hell no. So as the podcast was starting to take off, maybe about two and a half years or so ago, suddenly I started to get pitched by a lot of PR people saying, oh, my client has a book out, you should interview them. Or, oh, my client is a nonprofit thought leader and you should interview them. And I spent an inordinate amount of time kind of Thinking through each pitch and trying to figure out, is this a good fit for the audience? Is this not a good fit for the audience? And through that process, I learned that in reality, I can probably make that decision in about five to eight minutes by just doing some really quick research on the guest. And if my immediate response is, oh my gosh, hell yeah, I need this person on the podcast, then it's no. And it's not personal not trying to be mean, but if it's not over the top, oh my gosh, we got to do it, then no. And within the podcast, frankly, we've also applied that to audio quality. So there've been a handful of episodes that we have produced over the last maybe two or three years where we've really focused on audio quality. And because the guest is not using a mic or has a lot of background noise or a fan that just will not turn off inside their office, the audio doesn't sound good. And frankly, we kind of make that same decision. If it's not a heck yeah on the audio, this is good audio, then I have to go back to the guest and ask if we can re-record it under different situations and using different equipment. The last example I'm going to give on if it's not a hell yeah, it's a hell no, is we booked one guest and that guest had an email interaction with our podcast producer, and my colleague, Lexi. That guest copied me on the email to Lexi. And the prospective guest, actually really we booked the guest, so the booked guest was demeaning and belittling. I was shocked. I was genuinely shocked to see that someone would treat a colleague that way. And so I personally reached out to the guest and pretty much said, hey, sorry, I, you happen to have copied me on this email to Lexi. And the way that you just treated her in your email does not represent our values. So while I think you have an important message for our listeners to hear, I'm sorry, we just can't have you on the podcast. And I wish you all the best. So again, If it's not enthusiastic, oh my gosh, this is a person we want to be working with, then it's a no. And how I've applied that in my work life, as I sat with this and thought about this, I realized that Successful Nonprofits needed a manifesto. And so at SuccessfulNonprofits.com, there is an actual manifesto, and it's pretty clear where we talk about how we decide we're going to work with clients. And if we can't answer yes to three core questions about any prospective client, we won't work with them. And that boils down to, if it's not a sharp, excited, enthusiastic yes, it's a polite no. The fourth thing I learned is to listen to your critics. About 50 or so episodes in, we got a one-star review from someone named Jen. And I actually gave her a shout-out a couple episodes later. And her one-star review pretty much said, love your guests, love your interview questions, but your audio is unlistenable. And I just, I can't anymore. I'm out and so i gave I gave Jen a shout out and said hey i'm I'm so grateful that you shared this, and we're going to invest in better recording equipment and we're going to invest in editing services so that our audio will be better It's interesting after we made that shift and we improved the audio, the future episodes, the audio was so much better that we actually went back and delisted the first fifty episodes." You can still download those episodes at our website, but you can't get them on the stream because the audio quality no longer meets our standards. And, you know, I'm always trying to give you examples of how I've applied these things that I've learned in my work life or my personal life. And one of the ways that I applied listening to critics is to be more responsive to texts. Over the last, gosh... Eight, nine years. I've had many people say to me, Dolph, you're not really great about responding to text. And it's true. I don't like texting. I think texting is great to tell someone you're running late, but really bad for sending messages that really require more in-depth communication. So now I try hard to make sure that I always respond to texts. Although, full disclosure, sometimes that response is a voicemail and sometimes that response is an email. But I try really hard to respond to text. The fifth thing that I learned is consistency above all else. And when I say consistency, what I mean is producing the podcast every single week. There have been two times over the last four and a half years or so where, frankly, I've had some issues with consistency, where it's been really tough to produce the episodes that we needed and get them out. And so we would do a rerun or we would do something else. But what I've found over time is the more consistent we are, the more successful the podcast is. And in my work life, I have found this also to be very important. And that's why I consistently now book 17 to 20 hours of desk time every single week. It's booked, it's a recurring appointment on my calendar, and it's sacred time that allows me to do all of the work that I'm supposed to be doing, not just for my clients, but also to have the broader impact that I want successful nonprofits to have. The sixth life lesson that I learned is that it is much easier to be consistent when you're part of a team. So early on, I did this all myself. I already shared with you that I ignored a lot of good advice, which I should not have, but I taught myself audio editing. I read up on uh, podcast producing so that I could book guests and get guests on and confirm guests and do all of that. Over the last four and a half years, I've worked really hard to build a team. And so now we've got Lexi as the podcast producer. We've got Stuart as the podcast editor. And it's so much easier when I'm a part of a team, in part also because they're expecting something from me on a regular basis. I'm just about to talk about something else I do, which is batch recording. But once a month, they're expecting that I'm going to batch record some episodes so that we can keep the ball rolling for the podcast. And, you know, in my own consulting life, I've actually started to expand just a little bit so that I'm co-facilitating key projects with others. And it's interesting to be able to have that dynamic now once again where I'm able to bounce ideas off a coworker and a colleague and really jump in and try to find ways that we can better serve the clients. The next life lesson that I learned is that it is always better It is always more efficient, and it always makes for a better life if you batch activities that are similar. Early on, 2016 and 2017, I was recording podcast episodes in onesies and twosies. And so what that means is every week I'd have a podcast episode that I'd have to record. Sometimes I'd get two in, but most weeks I would just have one recording session. And so that might mean that I would spend 30 minutes setting up the equipment another 30 minutes prepping myself mentally for a great interview, have a great interview, and then have the 30 minutes of where you just kind of let everything go and you let the adrenaline come out of your body after a great interview. And so literally, it could easily eat up half a day. The other thing that would happen is if for some reason the guest was a no-show or we had a technical issue, boom, I no longer had an episode to air in a couple of weeks. So I found that if I batch recorded, if a guest didn't show up or if we had a technical issue, okay, it was not the end of the world because we were recording another five or six episodes that day. I also found that by devoting an entire day to it, I'd only spend one 30-minute period setting up the recording equipment. And... Because I would schedule about an hour between each episode, it would give me just enough time to decompress from one interview and jump right into the next. And so over the course of one workday, I could actually do my part of about six or seven episodes. This last month, I took that lesson and applied it to my email. And I actually set up a test, and I ran the test for a month, and I told everyone I was working with and put it in my email signature that I would only be downloading, reading, and responding to email once a day. Let me tell you, batching my email was a win. I now spend about 30 to 45 minutes a day on email. That's it. So I batch my email, I download it, I read it. Boom, boom, boom. I get through every email. I do everything I'm supposed to do. And then I flip my email back over to the calendar because while I do like to have my calendar open throughout the day, it was a game changer. The eighth thing that I learned is that everything is better when your work is done well in advance. A couple lessons ago, I had shared with you that one of the issues that I had in doing onesies and twosies for recording is that if a guest was a no-show, I might have a real issue um, in getting a podcast out in the very next week. So it's so much better now because at any given point in time, we have 8 to 12 episodes in the bank. So again, even if, and this actually did happen one time, my house flooded the week that we were supposed to do podcast recording. And obviously, we had to do an emergency move out of a flooded home. And so we had to cancel all of the podcast recordings, but we had enough in the bank that we were able to continue running the podcast every week. Now, our bank got down pretty low, but we did have enough that we did not have to go, oh my gosh, let's do reruns or let's not run anything at all. In my consulting life, i found that there's some work I know I'm going to need to do in any type of an engagement. And so, for example, for a strategic planning engagement, i I know that as part of that project, we're going to do a financial analysis. And so I now ask clients to share with me the documents that we're going to need for things like a fundraising analysis, a financial analysis, a programmatic analysis, well before the engagement even starts. So that way, instead of scurrying, trying to make sure that we've got the financial analysis complete for the right workgroup meeting, we've just got it ready to go when that meeting comes around. The ninth thing that I've learned, and by the way, this rolls right in from the last one, having a system is worth the time that it takes to create that system. So I just shared with you my system for batch recording and my system for making sure that we've got episodes in the bank. We've also got systems for how we respond to PR pitches, for confirming guests, et cetera. I have to tell you, creating those systems took some time, but now it takes very little time to keep those systems running. The tenth lesson that I learned, and you know, this is something I've always known, but it's always just nice to remind myself of, that people are really generous. Guests have been incredibly generous with their time, especially in those first 50 episodes when literally we did not have much of a web presence. We you know, only produced a couple dozen episodes or maybe less than that. And we were going out to prospective guests, asking them to be on. So guests have been very generous with their time. But they've also been generous when we've had glitches. For example, when my house flooded and we had to reschedule everybody. Or we wake up and there's no internet access for about 20 minutes and we have to delay the start of an interview. So I have been so grateful for the generosity of guests. And I try to remember that throughout all the work that I do. And so if someone asks for some of my time, I try to make sure that I can make myself available because other people have been so generous with me. The 11th lesson that I learned is the importance of investing in yourself. Last year, as an example, I got tired of saying um and, mm, and yeah and you know and mm, and all these other filler things that I would do, so I enrolled in a vocal coaching program. Oh my gosh, vocal coaching was a hit. I wish I would have done vocal coaching back in 2016 when I started the podcast. There have been other ways that I've invested in myself as well. Over the last few years, I did a training for interim executive directors that was offered by an organization in New York. I did the board source, board development facilitator training a few years ago. I also did a Sandler training. I've now found that it's just so important, you know, to really invest in myself. And every year I've got a budget for my own professional development. And this is the very last thing. And, you know, some of these things I already knew, but these are just reminders. The very last thing, the very last life lesson that I have gotten from podcasting is do what you love or do something else. I feel so incredibly lucky in my consulting work, but also in this podcast that I really get to love what I do. Every morning when I get up, I'm excited and ready to take on the day. If it's a podcast day, I'm ready to jump in and have six or seven great conversations with smart and intelligent people and learn something from those conversations. And I'm still loving the podcasting journey. I am hoping to continue on this journey for years to come. And I really hope that you listeners, are going to be on this journey with me for years to come as well. This is truly, for me, a labor of love and a passion project. And as we prepare to release our 200th episode later this week, I am already looking forward to the next big milestone, which I guess is 500 episodes. We should be there in about six years, and I hope that you will be there with me. That is is our bonus break this week. I hope you have gained some insight, listeners, to help your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment.